And welcome to the podcast on Pastoral Transitions with Bible and Business. I'm Bill English, and with us today is uh, the former pastor at Maple Grove Evangelical Free Church, Russ Berg, the current executive pastor and senior pastors at Maple Grove Free Church, uh, uh, Jim Hobbs and John Plattick. Uh, just for full disclosure, I am a member at Maple Grove Evangelical Free Church, and the church has been through, uh, in the last few years, a very positive pastoral transition going from uh, Pastor Russ, who was at Maple Grove for 21 years, to Pastor John, who has now uh, been our senior pastor for roughly a year and a half. And so uh, we are in our third segment of the podcast. And uh, in this particular segment, we'd like to focus on uh, congregational care and elder care. How do the pastors deal with their elder boards? And also, how do we care for the congregation uh, during the transition so, John, uh, I'd like to start with you. You were at the chapel in Akron, Ohio. Um, you lived in Talmadge, and um, you uh, needed to, uh, some way, announce your departure mm-hmm. and uh, and do so with care and concern for the people that you loved and still love, I'm sure, who are in that church, as well as working with the elder board there. So what are some ideas and maybe some thoughts that you can pass along to others uh, who might be in your situation? They're getting ready to move along. What did you do, and and what do you think that you did well there? Yeah, from from my perspective, I think the most the most critical and crucial ones that I wanted to to talk about or really to um, to interact with were the staff because I had had a significant amount of of staff that had reported to me. Um, I really wanted to just allow them the opportunity to to ask questions and to talk through the process. And really, and really, just work through the process of my leaving, as well as making sure that they had clarity on the other side of when I was gone, of who they were going to report to, and what the what the next thing was going to look like for them. So, really, doing a lot of legwork on that on that end, of taking care of the details to make sure that they were tended to, that they were that they were really well cared for after after I left. As far as the church is concerned, because I had been I had been a very public figure in the four years or five years that I had been there. Uh, in on the on the Akron campus, then um, it was imperative and important for us to really uh, open ourselves up to the to the congregation and allow them the opportunity to just to, to speak and to share. Um, and and so you, you get a whole lot of different comments, a whole variety of different things. And some of them say really nice things like, um, you know, you, you feel like you're dead. You know, it's like a viewing. They walk by and, oh, you know, it was it was a nice knowing you. Um, but you know, but you really—that's important for the body to be able to um, to really just process that through, uh, particularly uh, with those who now, if you're depending on your role, that would be less and less public, right? So if you you may have a, a lesser public role that you would allow those people that were directly a part of your ministry, but they need that opportunity to really thank you and to really say how God used you. And that's a part of the nurturing, shepherding part of, of the body. So those are a couple of things. Back here in Maple Grove, what did we do to care for the congregation of the Maple Grove Church? Uh, Russ, you're still preaching. You're mm-hmm. still on staff. You're still showing up every Sunday, and you're our pastor. You're our general. You're leading us forward, and, let we know, and yet we know that the day's coming when Russ isn't going to be there and somebody else that at the time, we didn't know who that was, is going to take your place. What were some of the issues in, in our congregation that needed to be addressed and how did we uh, give that congregational care? Yeah, it's a great question. I think I'll try to bulletize this, but some of the things I think that we did well 
is on uh, on specific occasions, uh, like business meetings, I would get up and I would speak to two things. I would speak to the fact that the elders were doing an excellent job of caring for Melody and me and that there was a plan in place. Because I think in a long tenure, unless people can settle down and just almost let go of the fact that Russ and Mel are going to be okay, they can't really look forward to the new pastor coming. And so part of my job was to shepherd perceptions and to make sure that people understood the elders were not only doing a great job, but they were caring for Melody and me. Um, Then I think uh, the second thing I did in those public venues was to speak to the positive vision of the future that I was excited about the church, even though it was a transition for us and them. Because I was part of this uh, transition, uh, I was excited about the future of the church. There was one other thing that that came in that was, I think, a big shepherding piece we hadn't really anticipated. The congregation was not only, John, I, you brought, I don't know if, if grieving is, is, a, is an accurate term, but, you know, the congregation is processing or grieving the loss of the senior pastor. But our congregation was also grieving the loss of almost 50% of the staff. We had a 50 to 60% turnover in staff due to retirement, due to um, our worship guy going and planning a church, during youth pastor trying to figure out what next steps were. One of our um, adult ministries was going in um, care. There was a lot of change. And one of the biggest shepherding pieces was our executive pastor before uh, Jim came actually was diagnosed with ALS in the really in the middle of the launching of the three- to five-year plan that included my transition. And so we made a strategic decision as an elder board that was about pastoral shepherding care for the congregation. We decided not to replace Dan's position specific and to bring an interim in the mix of all of this stuff. Dan was going to drive the transition. We pushed the pause button and said, we want Dan and Heidi to be a part of this congregation while he's preparing to go home to be with the Lord. And that changed up our timetable. That changed a a huge dynamic. But our people needed to see us. And it was also the the right thing to do. God was calling us to care for Dan and Heidi and to not let them feel like, oh, the next person's coming in. We have to go now, become part of a different church while we're grieving this terminal illness. Yeah, that's. I, I can't imagine asking somebody to go to a new church while they're in the process of, of grieving a terminal illness and going through that, I, they would need us more than ever. Yeah. And I, th- I thought that was handled quite well. So uh, kudos to you and to the elder board for how how you handled Dan's uh, not only departure but his his process of going home to be with the Lord. Just just another thought, Bill. It's really important for pastors and elders going through this to make sure that someone's shepherding them, whether it's by reading whether it's by connecting with a consultant, whether it's by connecting with other churches that have done this. The one regret I have as I look back at this, and maybe it couldn't have been avoided, especially with losing a close personal friend to ALS, I did a better job of shepherding the church than I did of shepherding my own grieving. But that is something that pastors are notorious for, is it not? Yeah. Just as a, as, as a general rule of thumb, and I, I know I'm, this is a broad brush, but pastors tend to be guys who are going to take care of other people and not really care as much about themselves and sometimes not as much about their families. I don't know that that I don't know that I would see that as a negative as much as I would just see that as that's that's a part of who you are, Russ. I mean, you know, you are a, and, a and shepherd maybe, beyond maybe just a coach up for pastors to realize there are 
they are going to need care even in the best of transitions. Uh, I remember I had anticipated, it was a small thing, I had anticipated, you know, preaching at Dan's funeral. And I had Heidi, his wife, come up to me and say, would you be okay if I asked Phil, our worship guy, to preach? Um, I just need you to be my pastor that day. Hmm. Mm. I need you to care I, for I just, me. I just need you to be here for our family. Yeah. Mm. Would, would you be okay? She knew that I really wanted to preach Dan's funeral, and yet... Heidi gave me the gift of not only mm. shepherding them as a family, but of allowing me to start the process of grieving, mm-hmm. which is really hard to do when you preach the funeral. You have to put your grief on hold until yeah. you get the church through it, and then then you can try to deal with it. Yeah, people don't understand that sometimes in our pastoral roles, we, absolutely, we have to detach a little bit during some of these services and ceremonies in order to do our jobs uh, in a way that, that people expect. Jim, do you have any thoughts on this, about how the congregation was cared for? Well, quite frankly, I mean, Russ did do an excellent job of just being in front of the congregation and being so positive about uh, where he and Melody were as a family and the incoming uh, lead pastor. And it meant a ton because, you know, you always, as a congregant, you're not involved in those circles of conversations behind the scenes as to what's going on. So there's always going to be some speculation of, are they, are they running Russ out of this position? Are they upset with Russ? Is Russ upset with what's going on here at the church? What What is going on that they're not telling us? And uh, while we would love that that doesn't go on in the church, it does go on in the church. So when the leader of the church can get up in front of the body and say, hey, uh, we are being cared for. We are being loved, and I am a part of the process. I am not separate from what's going on. It, it just really reinforced for the body, hey, this is way above board. This is a good thing. Okay, let's transition over to the elders then. Just a, a couple, three quick comments on, on what uh, transitioning pastors ought to be looking at, both as outgoing and incoming and just outgoing in terms of how, how to handle and deal with the elder boards. And then I do have one final place that I want to go, and that is I want to just get just glean some wisdom from you guys on transitions when there's unplanned occurrences like death, divorce, moral failure, burnout, those kinds of things. But we'll we'll save that uh, here in just a moment. But let's talk about um, how we how you guys dealt with your elder boards and uh, and some advice that you might have for uh, pastors who are in transition uh, in terms of managing their elder boards. So John, let's start with you. Well, for me, when I came, again, started with my understanding of who the board is and what the role of the board is. And so I, I really started with me understanding who they were and uh, the role that they were to play and the significance of my relationship with them. And so getting to know them, and I, I would I regularly would get together with them individually, but also and, and outside of the time we would get together as a board so that I could get to know who these men were and, and who they are um, and get the sense of where they're at with regards to spiritual things and their own spiritual maturity. And so that, that was a really important piece for me. Uh, one of the things that was really important to me as well is um, I, I known that um, the board had asked and it had an agreement with Russ and his wife uh, to not be a part of the church for about a 12-month period. Uh, they, and yet um, Russ's daughters and their husbands and the grandchildren were in the church, uh, which I consider a great privilege to have them be a part. 
because it would be natural for them to leave when some stinking guy comes in and takes their dad's job or grandfather's job, right? I mean, that seems right. natural. Right. Um, and so that was a really important thing for me uh, to really want to shepherd them and, and help them and really would love to have them stay a part of the church. And so to me, I, I went to the board and said, well, and, and this would have been, I came in in September, this would have been in January, and I said, the year's going to be up before you know it, and we need to start thinking and praying about how we are going to uh, address this, uh, or talk to, to about with Pastor Russ, um, and, and how we're going to handle this. At the bare minimum, there was formal action of the board to ask he and Mel to, uh, to stay away, to, to, for lack of a better term, for 12 months. And I think at bare minimum, there needs to be an appreciation and a thank you to them for abiding by and keeping to their word. Um, because he, they deserve that, and so that started, that kick started a conversation um, over over the in, in the church. Nothing moves quickly, so over several months of us just processing and processing um, to a point where we talked with, uh, you know, I met with both of his son-in-laws to ask their thoughts on inviting them back uh, because we really wanted to ask invite them into the process. Um, I and then we just continue to work work through this to a point where. Uh, it really able to, to formally invite uh, Russ and Mel back into the membership of the church. And, and now his, his new role, I mean, he, he's not able to attend the way that obviously he he had before, which was like every Sunday. Right. Um, but it's just a, it's just been a real positive thing for us. But that's just a, that's a part of working with the board and bringing them along and helping them really think through how to care well for the for the former pastor. And that's just been a, and to be able to tell that story with absolute clarity and integrity before the congregation so that they're able to see. And we're just sort of trying to model that uh, transparency and leadership so that it cuts down on any sort of um, what's really going on behind closed doors. What's really all that's just out, it's just gone because there's nothing to talk about, which is kind of boring. Yeah, it is. It's amazing how many people want to get the inside scoop as to what's really going on and if and and the more integrity and transparency there is at the elder and the pastoral levels the less of a backstory that there actually is i mean you can just come out and say this is what's going on i think one of the things that made the management or the the relationship with the board easy is that john and i had developed a friendship which mm-hmm. i know that that's not normal but in in a transition but i had just gained such an appreciation and a depth of um of just you know brotherly love for John's character, for John's um, deep love for the body, you know it'd be very easy for someone to come in and their expectation is the church's job is just make it easy for me to come in and transition. I'm the new guy. John actually had as much if not more concern and care and intentionality about shepherding the process, working with me to shepherd the process before and after. We kind of stayed connected the the summer that he was moving. I was preaching on First Timothy, and um, you probably remember this, Bill. I I talked to him, email him during the week, and we were both reading through First Timothy during the summer. Right, I remember. And I that. would I would just kind of gather these little gems of you know Pastor John moments. And on the last sermon that I preached at Maple Grove, um, I asked John. I said, Hey, you know, keep your cell phone with you. And I called him during the message and said, Hey, you know, this is a lot of pressure. Um, this is my last message. I don't want to, you know lay a goose egg here. I don't want to leave a clunker. I said, you know, John, can you help me out? I'm struggling. I'm calling my lifeline, you know, and so we put him on speakerphone and we had an opportunity just for the body to connect with him. And that was so easy for me to do because I'd grown to love John. I'd grown to love not only his heart, 
but to love what he wanted for the body and to mm-hmm. love some of the selflessness and servanthood that would allow him to think about the body, not just his own family's transition, which was a huge thing as a dad and as a husband, oh, yeah. all of those things to manage. John still had a heart not to be served, but to serve the body. And when the board sees that, there isn't a lot of management that goes on. The board is coming to us saying, what can we do? Um, what can we do to help, you know, the transition? Um, and it was just, it was an amazing thing. I, I hope it can be replicated, but there was a n- number of dynamics that God just really set up. You know, in, in terms of being able to replicate this process in other churches, what I'm hearing from all three podcasts here is that the quality of the relationship between the pastor and the elder board and the ability to be transparent and for the elder yes. board to give room for the outgoing pastor to think out loud, maybe to grieve out loud, and to begin a, pro- a multi-year process of transitioning is absolutely essential in order for such a process like this to even work. If there's conflict on the board, if there's factions on the board relative to the pastor staying or going or or, or something like that, yeah. uh, this process is just not going to work. It, it's just not going to work that well. And I don't know if anybody wants to respond to that or not. I think it, work, it, it could work. It just work very differently. Um, it's just going to be, you'd have to navigate it. It'd be much more complex to navigate. And on the, on the other side of it, again, it's grace and humility that has to win the day because when I start leading the board and I start talking about the role of elders and elders doing what the elders are supposed to do, and then they stare at me with these blank stares and they go, that's different. And I go, what do you, well, what do you mean that's different? And then we have to, then they talk about some of the distinctions between the way that the board had functioned prior to my coming. And, and, and so that the, uh, and it's not a, it's not a right or wrong thing. It's not a good or bad thing. It's a, it's a, it's a, we're in a different place as a congregation, as a church. So now the board has to function differently. And so navigating through that, but also when I say grace and humility, I mean, it's easy for me to just go, ah, oh, that's not, that's wrong. It, it wasn't wrong. It was a different need of the body and the board had to play a different time. And there are men who served on the board who were great men to serve on the board at that particular time, but would not be great men to serve on the board at this particular time mm. because the role of the board is shifted because the, the season of the church is different. So someone coming in in a broken situation or a, a board with the factions, the, the, the need for that pastor and the leadership skill, they just have to know what they're walking into. And there are pastors and there are leaders who can walk in, who feel very comfortable walking into that type of situation. I don't know if I would be one of those, but I would be thankful I didn't have that experience. <laughs> okay, let's shift then finally to uh, just some advice. Uh, this is not part of your experience here, but I would be interested uh, from your uh, days in, in ministry. All three of you have uh, different ministry backgrounds and bring some unique experiences to the table. Uh, what advice might you have for a church or an elder board? or even pastors who, um, but mainly for the elder board and the congregations, who are experiencing what I would call an unplanned transitional occurrence. Maybe their pastor has suddenly died. That does happen. Or uh, it's come to light that the pastor is uh, getting divorced and um, and obviously can't serve in the pastoral role, at least for the interim. Uh, there's been some kind of a moral fa- failure or perhaps... Uh, there is just some burnout and the pastor is just done and really needs to walk away. And we don't have this 
I'm going to call it a luxury of one or two or three years to prepare the boards and the congregations for those kind of transitions. What has worked that you have seen in your experience in those unplanned occurrences? Well, if a pastor's gone home to be with the Lord, I don't have much advice from him. He's in a better spot. (laughs) But um, I really think um, pastors need to start thinking about transition earlier. It's going to happen. Now, hopefully, you're talking about, Bill, the transitions that are kind of forced upon you because of... Right, right, right. I I remember being at denominational meetings where on the the focus groups, I just raised, and I'd I'd been at the church 15 years, I just raised and said, hey, does anybody want to talk about transitions? No one. No one wanted to talk about transitions. They didn't want to talk about, well, how would we pass the baton or leave the church well? I think if if you aren't thinking that way, if there isn't a mindset that God is God has total sovereignty to move you and to move leadership, mm-hmm. you don't plan for it. And so then when an unexpected thing comes, like a death or a moral failure, you're floundering because you had not even anticipated the possibility of change. For pastors, I think it's really important that we take more responsibility for being emotionally and spiritually healthy so that we can listen to God, we can listen to the needs of the body without being defensive. I, I think, and, and the board can't do that for us. The board cannot, the church can't do that. That's something that we need to have the safeguards up so that as much as possible, we can't, Dan couldn't have predicted the, the crisis that his illness was. And, and Dan was the former. Dan um, was the, 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 our, our executive pastor. But there are other kinds of crises that happen in pastoral leadership that we do have control over. That is so not fair because we've been sloppy, we've neglected our walk with God, that we actually leave on the doorstep of the leadership in the church. And we we expect them to create a miracle solution for a failed marriage or for a moral failure or, or a failure of character. I, I can't speak to the board's issue because I haven't been a board member, but I just feel there's a huge need. Uh, and just recently, um, you know, other reports of denominational leadership that's that's been struggling. That's our responsibility. Uh, John, Jim, would you, either of you have any advice for uh, elder boards or congregations where the pastoral transition is kind of thrust upon them and, in a sense, thrust upon the pastor, uh, and it's just kind of coming out of left field? And how do we handle this? What have you seen that has worked well in other situations? You know, I, you know and again, you can't control what happens uh, with the uh, the pastor, but you can control what you do afterwards. So. I think a few things. First, it's just vital that uh, the communication is quick and transparent. Again, you want to prevent against any backtalking to the congregation as to what is going on, and they're looking for someone to lead. So you want to control the dialogue and the narrative immediately, and you want to be transparent with it. You want to lay out a timeline, you want to lay out a plan, and you want to communicate uh, to the body. Um, and let them know exactly what it is that's going on. And then you need to, I think, create some space for the congregation to process out loud because they may be grieving, they may be confused, they may be angry, and, you, and again, they need time to process it out loud. And you want them to process it out loud in front of you so you know what they're thinking and how they're feeling as opposed to a conversation that you're not privy to, because then you can go ahead and react to it. Yeah, some of those backdoor, side-cooler conversations can actually be quite damaging mm-hmm. if people jump to conclusions and and conclude things that just are, are patentedly not true based on only a partial set of information. So I like the idea of 
the congregation processing out loud and the church being quick uh, and transparent in their communications. John, would you have anything to add here? Yeah, I would I would say you want the board and uh, the staff to listen to the body well. And this is this is sort of piggybacking on what Jim had said, but you just want to make yourselves available until you can listen. You, you do need to speak and you do need to talk about process, but they need to know that they have a safe place because they're feeling wounded, they're feeling victimized, they're feeling a whole bunch of things, and they need to go, okay, it's still okay. This is still a safe place for me to call my church home. Second, I would say this, to be open to outside help, um, non-emotional uh, people. Go look for, for trusted resources, whether it's within the denomination or whether it's um, some sort of um, interim pastor or consulting, for somebody who's non-emotional who can walk through and give you best practices to walk through it. And, and a third thing would be this, create the perspective of faith. We are the people of God. We're a church. Remind people of the things, those circumstances of life have been brutal. They're not right. We're in a broken world, and yet God remains the same today, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And that has to be the mm-hmm. common theme and thread um, for, for the church. This, is, this is surprises us. It doesn't surprise God. Um, and so we are going to be people of faith. We're going to be people who continue to keep trusting in the promises that God is going to work this for good, even though we can't see it at the moment. That's excellent advice. Excellent mm-hmm. advice. Well, Pastor Russ, Pastor Jim, Pastor John, thank you for joining us uh, in these podcasts. We very much appreciate your time today. And uh, Russ, if uh, if you can just do, and this is going to be hard, 30 <laughs> seconds. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to describe the ministry you're in and how people can get a hold of you. Sure. Um, Hope for the Hurting Home uh, exists to help the church change the culture of divorce in America, one marriage at a time. And we do it by providing excellence in divorce intervention training, and that training is for church staff. It's for therapists. It's for um uh, family law attorneys, anyone who cares about being an interventionist. And then we also have uh, two other trainings that help in the rebuilding process. Just coming alongside of churches, how can we help them have a vision for starting marriage as well, supporting them, and then having a safety net when they go sideways? And how would uh, someone get a hold of you if they were interested in that? Um, they could get a hold of, uh, they could go to my website, rustberg.org. They could also go to hopeforthehurtinghome.com. Uh, and uh, there's information on both of those, and there's places to get a hold of Dr. Kenworthy uh, or or myself through either of those websites. And then Jim, uh, Pastor Jim, Pastor John, if folks wanted to follow up with you from these podcasts and and just ask questions or process or get a hold of you, how would how would they do that? Yeah, well, you can find us at uh, mgfc.org, uh, Maple Grove Evangelical Free Church. You can just Google us; you'll find us. We'll we'll, we'll be there. Uh, also on Twitter and Facebook, I'm I'm there as well. Um, just a John Platic, you Google that, you or put it in Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, available on social media. And we'd be delighted to engage anyone in a conversation on this topic. And I will say, and John and I joke about this, but every conference that we go to, this is the top priority of what people want to talk about. They want to talk about senior pastor transition. Interesting. Uh, just uh, just to reiterate, that's M-G-E-F-C, org. 
and you can go there. Uh, for myself, I'm Bill English with the Bible and Business at BibleandBusiness.com, uh, where we are trying to uh, lay out over a period of years a coherent biblical theology on what the Bible has to say about running a business and about leading organizations. Uh, you can find me uh, at BibleandBusiness.com. Yeah, just email me, actually, at Bill at BibleandBusiness.com. 